What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of? With your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock. I'm in the house today with the hardcore closer, Ryan Stuman. You may have heard of him. If you haven't, you better look him up. But before we do that, let me thank you for listening today. Thank you for watching. Thank you for the support that you've given me and my movement and the book, Rocket Fuel. Go get a copy of that. Become unstoppable. Today, we're going to be talking to Ryan, the creator of the G-Code and leader of the Apex Movement. Ryan's mission in life is to help as many people as possible become the most elite versions of themselves. Ryan is a top contributor to Forbes and has published 13 fucking books. Wow. I just did one, Ryan. Uh, (laughs) Four of which have gone on to be bestsellers. I'm going to get into all the other stuff on this bio right now when we ask you the question to bring bring the show into uh, focus here. What are you made of, Ryan? Apparently, I'm made of really long bios. I have no idea who writes those for me. I'm not sure whose department that is, but you know, it's like they're long. I well, shit, dude, I only read a quarter of it, just so everybody knows there's like a whole book here. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. So what are you made of, man? You know, that's a good question. I know what made me would be hard work, right? So I guess the ingredients of hard work are perseverance and uh, in belief and confidence, you know, if I had to do some reverse engineering there. Yeah. You didn't just start with that though. So we got to get deeper and dig into the ingredients that got you there because, uh, you know, I think uh, people need to understand that confidence and hard work, understanding like work ethic, it's not something that's just ingrained into you. You, you learn that from somewhere, you watch it, you realize you need to do that. So take us back. I mean, you can go back to diapers or when you're crawling as far back as you want to. Tell us what it was like growing up as Ryan Stuman and, and what went into making you? Well, I guess growing up, you know, you don't know as a kid, but life sucked, I guess. But isn't that funny, Mike, how you don't really like know that until you're an adult and you're raising your kids. You're like, damn, man, we were really like poor and you know, had a, <laughs> yeah. had a, a very askew view on how life operated. You know what I mean? Like <clears throat> limited information. Like I'm old enough and you appear to be old enough to where like if we wanted some shit, it wasn't Google. It was like, you know, if your family had enough money to own encyclopedias, you could find out the information <laughs> in your house, right? Yeah. Uh, or you had to march your ass down to the library or ride your bike to the library to figure out what you were trying to figure out, you know? And anyway, uh, you know, so at a young age, my parents divorced and, and my pops like disappeared. And later on, my mom remarried and that dude adopted me. And that dude, my, my dad, apparently, I don't really know him, but like my dad, my birth father, apparently was like an entrepreneur. And my grandparents, who I know both sets of grandparents, they're all still alive, uh, crazy wow. enough. Wow. Um, but my father's mom and father, my grandparents on my dad's side, uh, they, he was like entrepreneur, business guy. And then my mom's dad and mom, my grandfather was a banker, right? So they both own their own businesses, right? That totally skipped the fucking generation in my family. Cause my mom and my dad, they have worked for somebody their entire life. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but they they they're not risk takers because they saw it fuck up my grandpa's mm-hmm. life, right? They're like, yeah, that, yeah. that's a roller coaster I don't want to get on. And so my adopted dad did not understand entrepreneurism at all. Neither did I as a kid. I, I, they call it ADD or whatever the fuck, right? And his answer for everything was either, uh, he was very strict. It was either violence, right? Like he would, you know, hit me or whatever the fuck or work. Okay. So as I got a little older, like I would just choose work, right? The man dude had me dig holes in the backyard, <laughs> pull weeds out of shit, like work at these car washes, work on the farm, like, you know, and dude, I was in trouble all the time because teachers were always like, it's funny, teachers in school, they say things like, you know, you need to learn to sit down and shut up. Well, that don't get you paid out here, bro. Sitting down and shut up in a fucking room full of people, whether you're trying to get a job interview or whether you're trying to raise money or whether you're trying to close a deal, sitting down and shutting up will be the last fucking thing that you want to do, you know? And uh, I see all that now. Back then, I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm just fucking stupid and I got ADD, right? Because you're a kid. You don't know. You just yeah. know what fucking people are telling you. I call those people like the agents of average, right? They say some fucked up average ass shit because if you think about it, I'm going to say it because it just it, – it, teaching is an average job, right? Like, I mean, you, you go through school. It, it's a job. But like, it's a calling, and it is to a point of service. But a lot of teachers, man, after a few years, they don't really act like public servants. They kind of act like the police and shit, right? Where they're just like, oh, I'm doing my fucking job with these kids again, right? We know how it is. I know a bunch of them in real life, right? I'm not shitting on anybody's profession. I'm just being real. And, and it's a low-paying job, so that means it's high stress. You know what I'm saying? So you got these badass kids like me skipping school, and you got to answer to the principal. So I, I get what was going on. So I just fucking quit school. I, my stepdad's got me working all the time. And like, I don't have a life on the weekends. My friends, they're going out and having fun from like age 10 on. They're having fun on the weekends, sleeping in and shit. That wasn't for fucking me. Never, ever. Working every Saturday. And uh, it sucked, obviously. But there was a time when I left school. I was 16 years old and I went to work because I thought, well, fuck, man. And I did the math. If I just work full time, I make more than these teachers anyway, you know, in commission. So I just go work full time. It's like worst case scenario, I end up in the same fucking position as Miss Smith in life. I'm going to be okay. (laughs) But I knew I could sell, you know, because I'd been working selling car washes for my stepdad for a while. So I left and got that and and end up getting in a fight with my stepdad over leaving school. So the whole job thing didn't fucking work out the way that I thought it would. And so I end up doing some odd jobs, sleeping on a friend's couch. I mean, there was one point, Mike, where I was waking up at five of them. Well, I was going to work at six 30 in the morning, working all day in the Texas summer inside a uh, pulling wire in that like, uh, three 30. I get back by four, take a shower by five o'clock, be at the Mexican restaurant across the street from my apartment. I would work till 10 30 or 11. I would work the, the evening rush for dinner. I worked till 10 30 or 11. Then I'd sell dope to, from midnight to 1 AM out of my fucking house. And I was working three jobs a day, seven days a fucking week, man. And but I was used to it at that point. I just didn't want to go back to my parents. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, at the time, it seemed like a curse. Man, my fucking dad's always making me work and shit, you know. But now I'm not scared of hard work at all. Matter of fact, I end up getting in trouble for the damn drugs I was selling. And uh, obviously, that was a, a failed venture. As an entrepreneur, you got a few failed ventures. My first one just <laughs> happened to be illegal and uh, wasn't very good at it. And I remember the first day I went to prison. Uh, the first week I was in prison, they assign you in a job. It's about a week or so you're in there. They give you a job. They give me a job going out to pick cotton. Wait, right? how, how old were you then? Man, I just got the FBI. I'm adopting my middle son. And so I just got the sheet back last week. It was 2000. 
and I was 19 years old and, and I weighed, I was 5'9". Right now, I'm 5'10", 200. Back then, I was 5'9", 150. I wasn't even done growing and these motherfuckers sent me to a maximum security prison with, with let me be real, there was 90% black dudes where we had to pick cotton. You want to talk about racism, bro. If you want to talk about like real like slave plantation racism like i have experienced it alongside the folks man like it's it's oh, it was man. fucking crazy but so i'm just used to working hard so the first day they turn us out into the field i'm pulling this cotton up and fucking doing all the shit that we got to do out there and we're having to dig holes and stuff and me i thought well this is just what i got to do i got two years of this job this is a shitty job but i'm gonna make the most of it the guards called me over and they ride these horses they called me over and they said uh Hey, when we get done and we go back, because you go outside the prison, when we get back to the prison, come to whatever their office thing was. And, then, you know, obviously this is 22 years ago. So I went in there and they gave me like a job driving a tractor the next day. So there's people doing life sentences in this prison. They've been wanting to drive this fucking tractor and they're <laughs> fucking picking cotton. And then this new guy's driving the fucking tractor. Dude, uh, it was all I could do not to get killed in that motherfucker. Uh, and then the guards won't let me leave the job because they're like, no, nah, we need you. We can talk. Oh, man, it was a fuck situation, man. So, uh, dude, in, anyway, so, but I end up traveling around to like eight different prisons. I get out and I'm a changed man, dude. I'm a, I remember one day coming in from commissary. There was two big ass black dudes. Dude, there were like no white people in this prison, in any of the prisons I went to in the state level. There was very limited. There are these two large fucking dudes in the hallway, man. And I'm just saying, in, in a dark space in prison where people don't wear shirts and you got to fight two or three black dudes, I'm not trying to be funny, but that shit ain't fucking easy, man. <laughs> it's not fucking easy at all. You know, they'll fucking win. And I got the shit beat out of me. And I've been in fights in there and stuff before. But again, remember, dude, I'm 150. I'm an easy fucking target. You know what I'm saying? I'm a bait fish for a whale <laughs> at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so these dudes have been in here for 10, 15 fucking years that were gangbangers on the street and shit. I wasn't any of that. I was just a hardworking dude that made a mistake. Man, after they they beat me up pretty good, they they honest, honestly it probably fucking spared me. You know what I'm saying? They could have literally killed me, dude. They just yeah. they just took my commissary, but I would have given it to them if they would just ask. I'm not going <laughs> like, to get into a fight that I know I'm going to fucking lose. That's just stupid anyway, <laughs> man. It's like, here, let me just give you what you want, and then we can just avoid the whole physical conflict thing. But anyway, I remember thinking, man, this shit ain't for me. You know, this is, this is not a fucking game for me. I'm not going to do it no more. So I get out, I clean my act up start going to church. I get a job back at the car wash, but I'm working hard at the car wash, just like I've done everything else. One day a customer says, I want to hire you to come work in the mortgage business. And, and I'm like, all right, I don't know what a mortgage is. What's a mortgage? And she's like, it's like a, you know, when you buy a house, it's the bank loan. And I'm like, oh, all right. Well, I don't know anything about bank loans. I don't even think I got a credit score because I pay cash for my truck and I pay my rent and money orders every month. I don't even trust banks. And she was like, uh, you know, again, I'm a prison convict. Maybe I'm 21 at this time. And I'm probably making 50 grand a year at the, the mm -hmm. car wash, right? As the manager. She goes, well, you sell me some shit. Then you vacuum my shit. Then you spray off my shit. And then you usually wipe it off up front. At first, I thought maybe you were trying to flirt with me. But I realized you do that to fucking everybody around here. And she goes, if you'll just work that hard in the mortgage business, you'll be a millionaire. And I was like, lady, I got this job and I'm a felon. She goes, a felon? What'd you get in trouble for? I was like, drugs. She's like, ah, you'd be fine. You fit right in. Dude, I quit 
that next Monday I went to work. <laughs> oh shit. Within six weeks, I shit you not, like just lucky dog type of shit from hard work paying off, I guess. Within about six weeks, I had about, you know, $25,000 in commissions that I had made. <laughs> what were you doing? Refis? Uh, no, I was doing purchase, man. Check purchase. this out. So, so like I go on a Monday and as soon as I get in the elevator, the FBI is in the elevator raiding the mortgage office. I thought they were coming to this one. I was like, I knew it was too good to be true. They were going to another one that was in the building, right? But that was a good <laughs> sign to me, like, don't fuck this up. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, it's the FBI that fucks you with this. But it's not the... Dude, it's hilarious. Me and the, me and the FBI guys get in the fucking deal, and they're looking at me, and I'm looking at them, and they're waiting on me to push the fucking floor on the elevator to see which one I'm going to, right? <laughs> I'm like, waiting on them to push it, <laughs> oh, so I know to push shit. a different one. But they're like, it's like when you go to close the sale, it's like the first one that speaks. And I'm like, fuck, I'm going to have to push this button. <laughs> Dude, when they, when oh, I push, like, say I push floor four and they push six, I'm like, oh, fuck, thank God. <laughs> so that weekend, I don't know shit about anything, right? Mm-hmm. And that weekend, I'm sitting at my friend's parents' house and we're watching the Ohio State game. And I'm like, hey, you guys lived here like as long as I can remember. You ever, you ever hear of something called a refinance? And they were like, <clears throat> yeah, but we got bad credit, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know. This chick I work for, man, she says they can do some wild shit. So I connected them on Monday. Three weeks later, I got like an $8,000 check. At that point, I was like, I have no idea what happened, but I liked it. Then the dude that mowed the yards for the car wash, he calls me. He goes, hey, man, I've been in the car wash for like three weeks now. You're not fucking there. Every time I show up, what are you doing? I'm like, man, I'm a banker. <laughs> right? What year was I that? What, what year did you get into it? I'm like, I'm a, he goes, well, cool. I'm buying an $800,000 house or something like that. So there's another, like, you know, two points, another $14,000. So yeah. What year did you get in the mortgage business? Uh, four, oh, four. Okay. I got in, I got in, uh, I don't know if you knew this. I was in, I'm still in, uh, I run a division for uh, 2006. I got in right before the crash. So you, you, you had a good run like that. That was a good run right there. 2004, 2007, eight shit. Shit. Well, let me tell you, man. 2004, I started in like October. And by the end of the year, I made like, let's say $40,000, which was used to take me a whole year to make. It's like changing money. You know what I mean? So in two months, I make this stuff just from friends and family, but then you run out, right? You know the game. You run out of friends and family. You're like, fuck, what do I do? That's why most people fail at real estate. Mm-hmm. So I, I drive around, look for people with signs in the yard in the evening time, knock on their doors, right? You probably shouldn't do that today. This is a long time ago, 20 years ago. And one day I'm sitting at home and, you know, I'm about two months out of money. You know what I mean? Like I'm running on credit cards. I'm like, fuck, man, where's my next deal coming from? Because this wasn't a legion. The internet wasn't a thing like it is now. You yeah, either, yeah. you were like literally dropping off rate sheets, having coffee meetings with realtors. This is some bullshit that you had to do back then, right? <laughs> I ain't paying my cable bill in two months, so my cable's off, but I got one channel. And on this one channel, they run a commercial and it's like, come on down to this hotel on Saturday and be a real estate investor. And I was like, those motherfuckers need money. If they're trying to learn how to be a real estate investor, they got money, need money, and I'm the guy. So I went down there and everybody who bought the package, I would hand them my business card. About two weeks later, one of these dudes calls me and he's like, I got 55 houses in like Tyler, Texas that I need to refinance. And, uh, and then I'm going to sell them off. And he's like, I'm going to pull my money out and then I'm going to sell them off in parcels. So it's like for the next six months, I got... 55 fucking houses and he sent me a bunch of his buddies 2005 i make seven hundred and seventy thousand dollars. i literally went from prison 
to fucking washing cars at 40 grand a year to making that, a, a you know, double that a month. Damn, damn. Well, the cops, I buy a nice house, cars, all the stupid shit you do in your 20s, you know, that, that you don't need. I'm single by myself. I should have lived in an apartment and saved it up. But, you know, I'm blowing it. Cops, I got 32 houses that I own that I'm getting rent from and shit like that because I'm taking the seminars at this point, right? Like, I'm going to them. I might as well pay and take them and shit, right? And so the cops in this small town that I lived in selling drugs in before thought that now I'm selling big drugs. I must have went to prison and made some connections because now I got this house and, you know, and, and all this other shit. And so people coming by and dropping off papers and dropping off rent the first of the month. It might be a, a, a Benz and a Ferrari that a fucking a beat up ass car, a Crown Victoria from the ghetto, right? Because those right, were where right. my rent properties were. Yep. And so they raided my house. I didn't have any drugs, but I had a gun. Long story short, I beat the case. Then the feds picked the fucking case up. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. And in 2006, I landed my dream job at like the best bank in, in Texas, in my opinion. And my second day on the job, the ATF called me and they were like, hey, we need to come turn yourself in. We got this gun and uh, we're going to take the case and you're a felon. You can't have a gun. I'm like, in Texas, you can't have a gun if you're a felon. It's like not according to the federal government. So it's like weed in California. Oh, the DEA wants to bust you. They Jeez, can't. You know? Like, well, fuck, I didn't know that. They're like, that's not our problem. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, I ended up having to do 15 months in, in prison. And that's a whole different story in itself. But I got out in 2008. So the whole time I'm in prison, it's like, you know, the mortgage market's falling apart, blah, blah, blah. So I get out. I know two things, wash cars or mortgages. So I go back to work in the mortgage business and everybody's leaving the industry and the news says it's falling apart. But I started hitting everybody up that was leaving for their contacts. And so I started hitting everybody up as they were leaving. Yo, Mike, you quitting. Hey, look, man, who's going to take care of your agents? Who's going to take care of your investors and shit, man? They need somebody they can trust. I'll take care of them for you. You know, I slide you a little money for the first couple of deals while you're transitioning in your new job. And fuck, dude, I made 300 grand in 2009, fresh out of prison with no contacts, you know, because I damn mm -hmm. sure didn't want to be like, hey, I'm back after two years. I know you missed me. The internet wasn't, you know, Facebook and all that shit wasn't really around back then. Yep, I remember. And uh, lastly, Obama in 2010 passed a law called the Dodd-Frank Act and then changed licenses in the mortgage world from state to federal. My state license was still active, even though I've been incarcerated and the feds wouldn't give me one. So, you know, it's how I wound up being the Internet thing and looking into the Internet world was I need a job that didn't have a boss, didn't have a license. The government wouldn't meddle in that I could run that was legitimate, wouldn't get me sent to prison. And so I started teaching loan officers how I, you know, did my thing and made all that money. And uh, I did that for five or six years. And we probably had five or 6,000 loan officers that we coached and brought through our programs and stuff like that. And in 2017, two of these loan officers had this huge fucking falling out. And it like sent ripples through like my entire network over a bad investment deal, oh, you know? Shit. And, you know, just, it brought so much drama. And I never dealt with nothing like that before. Like just two huge alpha egos that just were fucking went full blown toxic, man. And, and, you know, I made a pivot. I said, man, I don't want to work with these bankers and, and realtors exclusively anymore. 
I, I can bring more than just making money or making sales or whatever. And so that was that moment, you know, like the, the, the commonality in all my struggles in, in my story is like the timing, you know, I would have mm -hmm. never got rid of those people on my own, but there was a, there's this big fight shit that's out of my control. Everybody leaves and I'm like, well, fuck, I was thinking about doing this. That was a lot easier way of doing this than what I was figuring. And so I created our apex program and, and, you know, for the last five years now, we've been building that we've had about, I don't know, seven or 8,000 people come through just our apex coaching program alone. We've got about a 1200 or so people in our network, I'm guessing at this point, and uh, basically just helping business owners and entrepreneurs and shit, sometimes just regular people try to be the best version of themselves. Yeah. And it's so, a long fucking story. And I gave yeah, you the cliff notes. Bro. I wanted to hear all that now because, you know, I was back in the mortgage business back in the day. And I remember seeing your stuff on when, when the internet came up and when you, I just, I remember that back in the day. Now I, I started back in oh, what? Oh, six started as a loan officer and built a team up to 47 branches. And now I have it running and I spend maybe an hour a day in that my, my leadership team, my partners take care of it, which allows me to do the shit that I do, which is phenomenal. I like, just like you, but as you got into this, and I remember watching a video, you said some point that you were watching some of the guys that had already made it in our space. Right. And you're like, when can I break through and get to that point? Like, there's got to like, are you impatient is my question. Cause I'm impatient as hell. Like I want things now. I think I deserve it. I think I'm worth it. And I don't like some people say, we well, got to put your time in. Fuck that. I don't need to put my time in just because somebody else did. That's the way that goes through my head. Do you feel that same way? Or how did that all shape out for you? And when you finally started leveling up to where you thought you belonged? Well, you know, that's a really good question. And uh, you, my friend Ed Milet says that you have like a financial thermostat. It has to be adjusted, right? Like the first month that you make $10,000, all of a sudden your financial work is I'm a $10,000 a month motherfucker, right? First month you make 25 grand, it's like shit, I value myself at 25 grand a month, 100 grand, some of you make it there, a million, some of you make it there. And, you know, I remember it was like just three days ago, 11 years ago, I did my first podcast. I paid this fucking cat $5 on Fiverr to let me on his podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> now I got people that'll pay me, you know, uh, five, 10 grand to come on podcasts sometimes. Right. And I paid these people five bucks to get me on. The guy clearly didn't know me. He's like, here is uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. I'm like fuck. <laughs> right. But nobody listened to that shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I was so mad. Like, dude, I, I paid five bucks. I was on the radio. Why did nobody listen to this shit? But I listened to it two days ago and I was like, thank God nobody listened to that because I didn't, I sounded like shit and didn't know what I was going. And, and, and when you say the reason why I share that is I'm getting paid today from work that I did 11 years ago. You know, I, when I started writing a blog in a week in January of 2012, I just never quit. When I started podcasting in 2011, I just never quit. I still do it today, obviously, both of those things. When I started making a Facebook post today back in 2010, I just never stopped. And what's happened is, and look, there's, there's faster ways than I've done it. And that's what I teach. I did the shit the hardest way possible, but I learned a lot of, I got infinite wisdom along the way doing this, but you know, I just never stopped these things. So what happens is I started this shit in 2000, let's call it 2011. Okay. I discover how to build a site on WordPress. Okay. It's not until 2018 
like 2017, I got, I make $3 million in a year. Right. And that's like, for me, I'm like, damn, that was fucking big money. You know, it's like, Oh shit. We made a million and a half the year before now fucking making three and a half million. Damn. Then the fucking clients get in a fight that fucking wipes out that three and a half million, a large majority of it. Right. So I build it back up by the end of 2018. I had two employees getting a fight and everybody fucking quit. Right. One of them accused the other one of some fucking shit, man. And everybody took sides and, and basically everybody quit. So 2019, it was me and an assistant all the way up until July, trying to manage a hundred freaking coaching clients, like with no coaches, <laughs> just me and shit. Right. And Dude, we didn't even really start cranking out and making money until the end of 2019 when we had a few more salespeople and shit like that. And then literally last year in November of 2020, uh, I'm sorry, September of 2020, we finally had a team together in a meeting and got on the same page. And I swear it was just like pouring like, like just gas all over what we were doing. And we're doing now in a week, what used to take us half a fucking year, just two years ago. And it's, it's insane. But here's the thing. I never, I'm impatient. I want my shit immediately, if not sooner, but, but I know that I got to work for it. So I'm just willing to keep my head down, focus and do the work. And I, I say, do the work despite the results. Cause man, the results are coming. You know, I've done this shit for 10 years now. And if you search my name and my companies, there's like, I don't know, 50, 75,000 search results, right? That comes from fucking a long time. But now I'm in a compound event, kind of like when you're compounding your money, yep, yep. there's a time when you're compounding millions and that's mm -hmm. what we're doing at this point, right? Yeah. So what did you learn from that when you had the uh, clients and then the employees and the company split apart culture-wise, what have you done differently this time that, that's going to prevent that to try to create an indestructible situation for your company? You know, that was the big question. Right. So I'm a very self responsible individual. So when that happened both times, I'm like, oh, it's Mike's fault. I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm like, what did I do? Right. How, how, there's something I, what did I do that could maybe stop this? Could have handled it better? Where is the fault so that I can improve here? That's just how I am. I'm, I'm going to take it. My, yeah. my friend Cheplak says, if you're at a stoplight and someone rear ends you, if you're really personally responsible, you take responsibility for being at that stoplight, not getting yep. mad at them for hitting you. Yep, right. Yep. Yep. And, and so, you know, I look at it and I said, okay, I, on social media, I'm, uh, you know, there's no pictures of me and women anywhere, even though I'm married. Uh, and even though I have a mostly female staff and I have a ton of female friends. So it looks like a bunch of macho dudes. I'm always talking about drugs and drunken nights and, and I'm just doing it for comedic effect. But what's happened is I'm attracting these people who like to drink. So they're fucking all over the place. They like to fucking get high on the weekends like bankers and shit do, you know, and I'm not high like weed, but like high like cocaine and stuff. So I got these misfits that I'm trying to transform that they don't want to transform. They just want more money. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I realized this. Okay. So that's who I'm attracted. That's not who I want. Okay. I want someone who's going to be a good dad or a mom. I want someone who's going to be in good physical shape. I want to work with people who are building a business, not just writing loans or selling real estate. I want to work with people who have a mission and core values. So that means I got to develop my mission and core values. And that I love it. Yep. was the big difference, right? And I know you hear that, and this is funny, you can hear shit your entire life and be like, hey, fucking everybody says that shit. Well, everybody's fucking saying it because it's true. And don't be a hard head like me and, and lose your ass three times along the fucking way because you didn't develop. Because here's the thing, one of the reasons a business fails or clients fall out or employees fall out, like what I had is communication. Okay, there was a miscommunication somewhere. 
But when you clearly, clearly, clearly explain your core values, which is basically what you stand for and your mission, then guess what? Everybody gets to make a decision to get on the fucking jet with you or not, right? And until that, nobody really knows what the mission is. I don't know. We're supposed to make money and help people, right? But no, when you say our mission is to help as many people as possible become the greatest version of themselves, right? When they're on the call, they're thinking, is this helping this person become the greatest version of themselves? When they're responding to a customer service ticket, they're thinking, is this helping them become the greatest version of themselves? When they're giving them advice, right now we've clearly communicated what our mission is to every single fucking person, not just customers, but person that we come in contact with. And then we have some core values that we live by. Like we go above and beyond. We do the work. We make no excuses, right? And they're all things that signify integrity, honor, and hard work, right? And so now we hire and fire according to that. The biggest thing that poured fuel was getting these core values together and then assembling a team that bought into them. And when I had a team that bought into the shit, in the beginning, I didn't know. One of the guys was my sales manager. He worked for me for three months. I'm like, you're doing a good job. You're in the wrong position. You're now COO. Another one was my top sales guy. I'm like, no, man, you're in a different position. You need to be training the people over here. I moved some shit around. Now we got the mission. So now we got to find out what position that you fit in now that we got the fucking our shit in line. And dude, I'm telling you, it's changed. It's changed the game. We are, it's the sixth of the month. And we already have sold over seven figures this month. Yeah, baby. I love it. I love it. That's got to be a non-negotiable. I mean, ever since that changed everything for me, ever since I personally, my own core values, my own core mission, which is all people are unstoppable to live in life for the dreams. Everything goes towards that or away from it. It's my decision. It's a simple decision. It's not rocket science. That's what I love about it. Cause I'm a simple guy. I don't know about you, but I like easy decision towards or away. Just make it, make it easy for me. And then when you make it easy for all your people, dude, it's, I don't, I'm so pissed that I didn't know that before. You know, my boy, uh, I'm, I'm going to pitch something real quick. Uh, my boy, Darius Mershazda, he was the CEO of the uh, TMS Mortgage. You ever heard of TMS Mortgage? Huh. He wrote this book, The Core Value Equation, and talked about how he came up with the core values and how he unleashed it to his team in the mortgage business and how it changed everything. And, um, you know, my team's implemented it. I've come up with my own. My mission has skyrocketed since personally, professionally, and at home. And I love that shit, man. I'm so glad you said that and, and spelled that out, that that made a difference for you. Yeah, I'll um, get that book, man. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll let you know. I'll, I'll email it to you. And then uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about this, before we do that, though, my last question is about the Rocket Fuel Law. How can my audience engage with you? And are you, do you have any like, programs you want to pitch? Whatever you want to do, man. You know, the best place to find me is hardcorecloser.com. It's my blog. There's tons of content, videos, and podcasts and stuff on there. My social media is all there. So that's like the, you know, if you want to follow me, I'm not active on LinkedIn. I'm active on Instagram and Facebook, but you can find the right profiles at hardcorecloser.com. If you don't go that route, you search for me on social media, only the profiles with blue checks are really me. If it's not verified, it is definitely not me. Cool, cool. Guys, go check them out. Go check them out. Final question. The rocket fuel law is to convert all setbacks, disappointments, letdowns into rocket fuel by storing them in your tank instead of your trunk where it weighs you down to become unstoppable. What does that meant to you? And you've told the story, but what does that mean to you in a clip so I can promote the show with it? What's the rocket fuel law mean to you? Well, you know, I, I believe that in the beginning, the rocket fuel is wanting to prove everybody wrong. Everybody that said you were a loser, everybody that told you not to do it, everybody that said it was risky, everybody that doubted you, proving them wrong. But there's a, a, at some point, 
you've fueled yourself on that enough to where you've passed those people. You're no longer angry. And that's where that new rocket fuel has to kick in. And that new rocket fuel has got to be your life mission and values that you live by. Right. They're like we've all got animosity, the chick that dumped us or the teacher that said we were stupid or whatever. But man, once we can use that as fuel for a while, but once that fuel burns out, we got to refuel with some good stuff where we're working from the heart and not the anger and stuff inside our head. And I know a lot of us, especially guys like you and I, Mike, that are, you know, a little rough around the edges from time to time, maybe a little hard headed other than, you know, sometimes the, the <laughs> proven people, proven people wrong is a big amount of fuel, right? But once you get past that and you've done it, so what happens is most people never get past that, right? They, they have some animosity towards somebody. They got to have it their whole life. You got to make that shift uh, once you've, once you've excelled past the people that you wanted to prove wrong. That's how I look at it. Love it, man. Love it. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for coming on the show. And I look forward to doing some things with you in the future. If there's anything you could ever think of that I could help you with, let me know. I'm always available to my friends. And uh, until next time, guys, keep listening, keep supporting us. Go subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for being here today. Go get that Rocket Fuel book. And until next time, be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com. And let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, MikeCrock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCrock.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me.